I'm fantasy author Elle Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Friday, September 6th, 2019, and this is episode 31 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing is a tie. I was able to go climbing this week. I'm so grateful. So I ended up going yesterday. I had tried to go before, but various things stopped me. And um, so I, I got my new braces in for my wrists, and they're made of neoprene, which is like the material from like beer cozies. It's ex- extremely hot. But um, I was I took out the metal part that makes it a splint, so it was I could still move my wrist a little bit, but it's still very tight. And um, I went to Boulder. And I was doing V intros and they have V zeros. I don't remember there being V zeros before. So you have the very, the very easiest one, the intro, then zero, one, two, up until I saw some tens. I think it might, I think it might just go up to V10. I'm not exactly sure what the highest level is. Now at my normal, you know, before I was injured, I was only doing V3s, maybe a V4, which is below my actual ability compared to the ratings are different when you, when you, climb on the wall with the ropes. But because there's no ropes, I don't like to boulder because I don't like to fall because I did fall and I hurt my hip and that was not fun. Um, so I usually climb below my ability, but now injured, I'm climbing way below my ability because V intros and V zeros were fine. I climbed a V1 and I was huffing and puffing. <laughs> so out of shape. Um, but the good news is that I can do it. I have to take it really easy. Um, so I only, I only climbed her about 15, 20 minutes yesterday and I could feel it. I'm sore today. My hands are soft. My calluses are soft. My fingers are very tired. Um, and bouldering is, is harder on my hands anyway, because there's no rope. And so you're, I'm holding on tighter, even though it's relatively short, but still falling 10 or 12 feet, um, is not fun as I've experienced. But the actual climbing is was really fun. Even even like little baby climbs, be <laughs> zero really. Um, so I'm gonna try to do that a couple times a week, and you know rebuild the calluses that I worked so hard to build, and um, and the strength. And I really feel it in my forearms because with my wrist immobilized, it puts a lot more pressure on my forearms. And so my wrist is a little bit sore. I didn't have any sharp pains, but I think I feel good about it. I'm trying to listen to my body and. And yeah, so we have success. So happy about that. Because yeah, like I still, I still can't do yoga. I'm going to try some like wristless yoga where you kind of just do, what is that? Dolphin instead of uh, downward dog where you're on your forearms instead of on your hands. Cause I can't, I can't still put bare weight on my, on my wrists. So no pull-ups for a while, no push-ups, none of the things that I use usually do. Um, still can do cardio, which I hate, but I do miss regular yoga. Um, but yeah, you know, take it slow, still healing, working on exercises to strengthen my wrists again. And hopefully not too long from now, I will be able to use them regularly and they will be good as new or as good as they were a few months ago. Not new. They're still (laughs) several decades old. Um, but yes very happy. The other this week's best thing um, was Carnival Row, which is the show on Amazon Prime. That's like a fantasy show with fairies and stuff that I really loved. I adored it. Um, I'm going to actually watch it again because 
after I watched it, I was kind of obsessed. And so I was reading all these articles about it. And one of them said that on Amazon Prime, there's an x-ray feature where you can pause the scene and the, there's like behind the scenes details. So I want to watch it again and read all those details. Now, it's been kind of mixed um, in terms of other people's reactions to the show. I've seen a lot of people who have loved it and a lot of people who haven't. Um, but for me, it really worked. And partially is because it reminded me of Earthsinger Chronicles. Like, it reminds me of my books in that um, – so part of this, this show, it's like a Victorian-esque era, which is a little bit before my era. Mine is like also the 1920s, but like, you know, similar. And um, – Second world. So it's, it's sort of a Londonish, but it's called the Berg. And there have been, uh, the humans have tried to colonize essentially the Fey lands. And there's different races of Fey. There's fairies, there's fawns or pucks. Um, there are centaurs and some other creatures, which we kind of see, but mostly it's fairies and the pucks. I'm not sure if puck is a derogatory word. Um, when I looked it up, I realized their actual name is Fawns, and they only say Fawns once to my recollection in the show. But um, they're kind of like they have horns and hooves, and they're, you know, I guess like Mr. Tumnus, right? But not quite. Because they have totally human faces except for the horns. Anyway, um, so the complaint about the show is that it's too political, and um, it's just, you know, hits you over the head with, with its message. Because, you know, the Fey lands have been um, conquered by another group of humans. And so they're refugees. And so they've come to this, this land of humans, the Berg, as refugees fleeing their land. And they're, they're second-class citizens. Um, you know, they're relegated to being servants or prostitutes or just the lower lower classes. And they're, they're in this kind of ghetto. The Carnival Row is the name of the place where they uh, primarily live. And there's all sorts of, you know, prejudice and racism against them, and it's very analogous. And so, um, for a lot of people, and, I, and I've seen black and white people saying that it's it's too political and it's too um, heavy-handed, and I just didn't think so. Um, but I guess if you didn't like that, you might not like Earthsinger Chronicles if it's too heavy-handed, because there is a full-on refugee crisis in in the, in the series, and um, that becomes very important. And so. For me, it wasn't heavy-handed because, like, that's the core of the story that they are telling. They're telling a story about inequality and about prejudice, and um, you know, the main love story with Orlando Bloom and Cara Delevingne. She's a fairy, and he's a human, and um, and that's not even really like the way that it's described had me feeling like that the love story was going to be prominent, which it is, but it also isn't. It's like, primarily the show is like a mystery. Um, almost thriller kind of, but mystery show because Orlando Bloom is a detective, and and so it's taking place in this world while these other things are happening. But overall, it wasn't heavy handed to me because that's what it's about. It's not like there's another story going on and then they're sticking in these issues, like quote unquote issues that you know. Um, it's like it's about inequality and politics. Like there's a theme, the whole storyline where these characters are in their their parliament and the the power dynamics in the different parties one is more pro-fay and one is definitely anti-fay and um that's just the core of the story so you can't take that part out and have it be the story that they were telling which which means that for me it wasn't heavy-handed because this is literally the story that they were trying to tell they're telling a story about you know racism and and um it's kind of a, it's a similar I mean still very different from Earth Singer Chronicles 
and what I'm trying to do, but there are, there is a lot that's the same. And, um, so I mean, I mean, that's why it worked for me because that's the story that I'm telling. And so if, if people don't want to have any politics or refugees or inequality or prejudice in their books, then, you know, don't read mine. Um, but yeah, I, I loved it. I loved the world building. I loved, um, the characters. I was really just invested. And the fact that it's kind of a racially blind casting. And, um, so there are like black and brown people all throughout, which you know, it was one of the reasons I wanted to watch it. Cause I saw in the trailer, I was like, Oh, there's brown people. Cause there's another, I think a show on Netflix called the King that's coming out. That is more medieval fantasy. I, I guess it's fantasy actually. I'm not sure if there's magic or not, but it's medieval. And I looked at it and I was kind of interested, but like the trailer was just lily white. Like there's nobody there. And I was like, in this day and age, when we know that there are people of color in medieval times everywhere, there's not really an excuse. And maybe they're hiding some people that, you know, are not in the trailer and they're going to show up in the show, but I'm not going to watch the show. Because at this point in my life, I'm a little bit tired of just seeing all white things that don't need to be all white. And so I appreciate that the show is very diverse and that the prejudice isn't racially based. It's, it's species based, you know, it's fae and there's black and white fairies and, and fawns and everything else. And one of the, the storylines is this um, black actor who is one of the fawns who is rich and moves into the rich neighborhood. And I liked that. Um, it's a very interesting, tiny spoiler, but not really. They're doing something interesting with that character in that he's like a conservative. So there's, and which makes sense because when people, I mean, especially when black people get money, they tend to become conservative. Like, you know, you're more conservative when you have, when it's more advantageous for you to want tax cuts, for example. So there was a really cool scene where, you know, this character who is looked down upon, like, how could you move into our neighborhood? Um, and you have this kind of liberal human who's coming up to him expecting him to be liberal and he pushes back against that and he was like why would you think i would like, why would you assume i would you know agree with you on this this and this and he proves that he's actually conservative which is a little uncle tomish because <laughs> it is a black actor playing this fawn character um but it's also very realistic because that's actually what happens and it makes sense for the character and so i thought that a lot of the choices um made sense for the characters and i enjoyed and appreciated the character development. But for a lot of people, it was also slow and they had our time getting into it. Um, so yeah, everything isn't, isn't for everybody, but I, I'm really excited about like going through it again and watching it again. It's already been greenlit for a second season. Um, it's only eight episodes. So who knows when that's going to come out, I guess another year. But, um, so if you, if you like politics in your fantasy and if you're here, hopefully. <laughs> If you've ever read my books, um, or if you haven't, if you're thinking about reading them, heads up, there is, I guess, what you would call politics in them. Um, I mean, for me, it's it's so natural because it's just life. You know, I, I have fantasy reflecting real life, and I'm Black in America. And so there's things that I'm thinking about all the time. Um, and I, I, I haven't, I'm sure there are people who feel like I'm being heavy handed too. And, you know, that's that's perfectly valid. Everyone has a different reaction to things. And um, everyone has things that they're looking for in their entertainment, and that might not be what you're looking for. But um, for me, super worked. I loved it, and I'm super excited about it. <sighs> Writing update. So I finished, successfully finished, the 
5K in five days challenge. And I ended up writing something like 20,500 words in five days. I could have done more. I slacked off one of the days because it, it is, it was a lot, but it was totally doable. And um, I'm really, really glad that I did it. It, it taught me or reminded me because the things I knew from doing NaNoWriMo, which is 50,000 words in 30 days, um, which now is like nothing, you know, like 1,666 words a day. A few years ago, it was a huge achievement for me. And now it's like, yeah, of course, because <laughs> you're a professional and you have to produce. And um, it's not that hard. But 4,000 words was a little bit daunting. But it ended up being I, – I knew I could do it, but it ended up uh, – and it ended up working out really well. And so <sighs> I'm thinking of doing it again. <laughs> and if I can – I've written today – I started work, waking up at six and um, cause I know I've been putting it off. Like I know I, I've known that I've needed to, but I've been extremely lazy and, uh, but time is ticking, you know, it's September and I need to get this, at least this first draft out of the way. So I'm going to see if I can finish this first draft by next week. Um, I'm leaving for this conference in Nashville on Thursday and I really would like to finish the fast draft of this manuscript, Earth Singer Book Four, um, by the time I leave. So I don't have to worry about it when I'm there. And so I'm estimating about another 25,000 words I need. And it's um, seven days counting today. So I've already written 2,800 words or something today. So it should be, it's, it's ends up being 3,500 words over the seven days, which is only a little bit more than what I usually do. Or what I try to do when I'm when things are going well, so that is the new goal, and I feel I feel confident about that. I feel good about that. If I go strong, if I write first every day, um, then I can I can meet that. And twenty five thousand words might not be enough to finish the whole draft, but I will be very close, I think. So that is the goal. Um, and the other things that I learned from 20K in five days were that I just really need to push through on the fast draft, especially when things are feeling wrong. Because by day three, I was in the middle of a scene and I'm like, this, there's not enough conflict. There's not enough meat happening. Like, I'm writing the scenes that I outlined, but they're still not right. And, you know, I've been stopping and trying to fix them. And that kind of goes against the philosophy of the fast draft, which I know works for me. Um, because I, I, hate, I also hate to waste the words. And so I was starting to feel like I'm just typing just to get the word count. But I wrote through it. And by the end of those scenes, I, I have kernels of what they need. You know, I still definitely need to go back and amp up the conflict a lot in that, in that part of that storyline. Um, but by not stopping and by pushing through... I think I have the seeds there that will give me what I need to make those changes, and which is the entire point of this whole fast drafting thing. So I just need to to continue to push through and to stop stopping. And like even when I know it's wrong, um, if I if I have enough to write the whole scene, even if I don't feel like it's right or if I don't know everything that's happening, I think I just need to push through until I get to the end of this draft, and then. I can begin the long road of revision. Because um, what I what I really wanted to do was have have a revised version in November um, so I can get beta reads. It doesn't look like I'm going to be able to do that because even if I make my goal this, this week of having the fast draft done, 
revising it in a month and a half is probably just not possible as, as long as this book is going to be. Um, the revision, which for me is rewriting, like I'll have a first draft that is extremely messy and, and each scene, when I do the revision from the stage, the last time I did this, I mean, it can take three to four hours per scene. So, and sometimes I won't even be done with the scene at that point. So, and it's, it's extremely like taxing mentally and creatively. And you can't really rush that. You just have to sit down and do it every day and, and maybe at least five days a week because it's tough. So just physically having the time and, and the focus and the creative energy to do that, it'll probably take me into November. So maybe a beta read in December, which is still okay because this book is due February 3rd. Um, a beta read in December gives me a month to revise off of feedback, um, which should be enough time theoretically depending on how, how the revision goes. So that is the writing update. Um, I was super happy about the 20K in five days. And it, yeah, it was just the jumpstart that I needed. So, yay. I mentioned transcription last week, and I did try Descript, um, trying to see how much time it was going to add. And it ended up doubling the time I needed to edit. So I didn't even finish the whole thing. I was like, after I timed it and I had gone through um, like 10 minutes of video, audio, you know, the recording, and it had taken 20 minutes, which is double the time. Usually it takes me time, like half, right? Let me do this calculation. If if my podcast is 30 minutes, um, I expect it to take, 45 minutes to edit and not an hour. And that is too much time. So because I have to clean up so much and because not just I talk fast, <laughs> uh, I also, it's just very colloquial. And so there's punctuation. And so cleaning up words, adding punctuation, making it readable is time consuming. So it's nice that I can edit the video and the audio inside of while doing the transcript, but cleaning up the actual transcript is just too time consuming. So I will have to table that, which I, I thought I might have to do, but I thought it was, it was worth at least giving it a shot and um, maybe come back to it later. Um, at some point, maybe have someone else do it. <laughs> We're not going to afford to have someone else do it. So yes, that is something still would be nice to do. And I think this is still a good method to do it, but right now it would just, it would eat up time. And I really enjoy doing the podcast. Like I look forward to it, but if it, it takes too long to do, then I think I would stop enjoying doing it. So that is the update for the moment. Another exciting development this week is there is a new co-working space opening up close to my house. So I live in suburban Maryland and the co-working spaces, there's some in Baltimore and there's some in closer to in DC and then like Silver Spring, which is right outside of DC. But any of those places is like a 20 or 30 minute drive for me to get to. And um, I've thought about, you know, getting out of my home office and having another space to go to write specifically would be great. Like I have um, a laptop that I, you know, a laptop obviously, but I do most of my work on my iMac. I have a 27 inch iMac for my regular business and they sync and everything, but I don't like to do website stuff on my laptop when I don't have to, like when I'm not traveling. So I would do most of my business stuff still in my office, but the writing, I could just bring my laptop, bring my office smart, go someplace else 
And, uh, I think that could be helpful. Like I, I don't, you know, coffee shops don't work for me really. I think I've talked about this before. I drink so much tea. I go to the bathroom so much and I don't like to leave my laptop out in a coffee shop just away if I'm going by myself. If I'm writing with someone else, then of course, hey, watch my stuff for me. Um, so that is a deterrent to me leaving the house to write. But a co-working space is, you know, private. Like you have to have a key card to get in. So I'm not worried about anyone stealing my stuff. Not that I think anybody would, but like Laura Kate had her, I don't know where she had her stuff stolen from, but she recently lost a laptop and I saw her on, on social media. That That's traumatic. I mean, I back up everything in triplicate. <laughs> so I have Dropbox, I have Carbonite, I have Time Machine on my Mac. Everything is backed up in at least three places because if you've ever lost anything, and I, knock on wood, I've never lost a manuscript, but I don't want to. And so even if something, you know, God forbid what happens to my laptop, I I have everything. Scrivener is, my Scrivener runs off of Dropbox so that I can go back and forth between multiple computers. And so it's always backed up, but I don't want to lose my laptop. I don't want to have anything stolen from me because that would be very painful emotionally. And so anyway, there has not been a co-working space within a reasonable driving distance from my house. And reasonable to me is 10 minutes, 15 at the outset. If it's further than that, it doesn't make sense for me to commute to do something I could do easily at home without spending that extra half an hour a day. Um, so I, it's probably not going to open till closer to the end of the year, but it is like nine minutes away and I'm super excited about it. One thing I do wish it was more like Paragraph in New York. So there's a, a writing space, a writing co-working space in New York called Paragraph that I went to a few months ago when I was up there for something. I just did like, a, I had like, you get like a free trial day. And it was so amazing because it is quiet. So the the space where you work is completely a quiet room. No phones, no talking. If you have to talk, you go outside into the kitchen, which is the common area. And so it's a big space. There's a bunch of cubicles that they have and you just go in, you sit down at a cubicle. So you can't really see anybody. You've got a desk, a light, an ergonomic chair, which coffee shops, like I can't, I can barely right in coffee shops anyway, because the tables are so high. It's like you're typing like up by your nose because for some reason, like a Panera especially is bad for that. But this was like the ideal space. I was there for five hours that day and I got so much done because you're around people, but it's quiet and you're all working. And there's something like psychologically wonderful about that. And um, if you've read Deep Work by Cal Newport, it is, he describes in there like kind of like the perfect co-working space, which this is, which would be quiet. And, and I forget, I'm actually going to, um, I listened to that book on audiobook when I want to read it again because it had so much good stuff in it. But yeah, so that is like the ideal of all spaces. And if you're in New York and can go there, it's wonderful. I can't remember how much it costs, but, um, if I was there, I would, I would pay whatever it took because I just found that silent room with a bunch of people working and you kind of, you just see people as you pass by the aisles. And there's just something about that, like that made me so productive. Um, and then you can go out and there's coffee and tea and have your lunch and you can sit and talk and then, you know, talk on the phone if you need to. So this is not that. This is like a regular co-working space, but a lot of the co-working spaces that I've seen, especially like in Baltimore, um, kind of prioritize letting you meet people and, and they want to foster 
I don't know if they're trying to push you together to create businesses, but like networking. They're trying to foster networking. And I don't want to network. I just want to go someplace that's not my house and write quietly and then come home and do more work. So I am very hopeful about this um, this place. And whenever it opens, I will be there. Um, a couple of days, I'll do like the, you know, the trial plan to make sure that it's not weird and that the chairs are comfortable and ergonomic. Um, but yeah. Another thing that I saw that was kind of cool this week was um, a tweet that N.K. Jemison sent about fanfic. And I guess maybe she does this periodically. It was saying how she's totally pro-fanfic. Like, please, people, if you want to write fanfic of her work, go for it. She can't read it, um, but she likes to know that it's out there. And yeah, I've never, I've somehow I missed the whole fanfiction thing. Like, it seems like it would be up my alley because I do mental fanfic. I just don't ever write it down. But like if something ends in a way that I'm not satisfied with, or I want to, you know, have the characters live on in my mind, I will just have like mental stories that I'm telling myself for the next few days or, or something after I've watched a movie or, or read a book that I really liked. But I never got into reading fanfic or writing fanfic. And I think it was because, probably because of grad school, like my grad school was very <laughs> intense because I worked full time and I went to grad school. And there were years when I think those were the years where I would have you know, gotten into it and I was out of my mind busy. But I share her idea about like, yeah, if anybody ever wanted to write fanfic, that would be like the highest form of flattery. Um, I know that someone asked her why she wouldn't be able to read it. And it was the same reason why authors, like published authors can't really, like outside of critique groups, um, from what I've heard, you're not really supposed to read people's manuscripts because just in case one day they sue you because uh, they think that you've taken an idea of theirs. And apparently somebody got sued off of fanfic. Like, I don't know how that works because they're taking your intellectual property technically illegally anyway. And then an author got sued for doing something that the fan fiction writer had done. I didn't really look into it that much, but I know that, that there's a higher liability, I think, when you're a published author for being a target of people saying that you stole stuff. So it's probably a good idea not to read any of the fan fiction based on your stuff. But if it ever existed, I think that would be the coolest thing ever. So if anybody ever wanted to write fanfic of any of my stuff, go for it. Um, you can tell me it exists, but I can't read it. <sighs> all right. So I'm tired already. It's 1130 in the morning. It's all good. I need to write another one more sprint, maybe another 1,500 words, trying to get to at least 3,500 a day, and um, something like that. I think one more sprint would do it. And try to move towards this goal of finishing this fast draft by next week. I'm in Nashville next week. Oh, other events coming up. I'll be in New York September 22nd for Brooklyn Book Festival. I think word on the street is, and it's not confirmed, so normally I wouldn't even say anything. Well, maybe we'll speak it into the universe. We'll speak it into existence. Um, so word on the street is that I will be at New York Comic Con. I have no dates. I have no other information than that. So um, stay tuned for more. But that should be very interesting. And that is October, the first weekend in October. So this is Leslie popping in from about an hour in the future. <laughs> and once I finished recording, I did get the email uh, confirming my New York Comic Con. So I will be there. I will be signing. And um, future days, we'll see if I'm doing anything else. But I will be there. Uh, check my calendar for 
details on my website. And now back to Leslie from the past. And then um, if you're in Norfolk, Virginia or the Hampton Roads area, I'm doing a book launch for Whispers of Shadow and Flame at the end of October. So check my website for calendar information. I'm doing a whole East Coast thing. Um, I mean, New York, Maryland, Virginia. But my events for September and, and October are looking intense. Like, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot, but it's fun. Book launch is October 1st. I'll, I'm doing a pre-order campaign. So if you pre-order the book, I'll send you swag and I will link to that in the show notes with all the other links of things I've talked about today in the show notes. So that is really it. I hope you have a wonderful week and happy reading. For episode show notes and to learn more about me and my books, go to lpenelope.com. Subscribe to My Imaginary Friends wherever you get your podcasts and check out the video episodes on YouTube. And please leave a rating and review to help support the show.